The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, corporate learning. Hey, no matter what size company you are, no matter your industry or where in the world you are, where your main or your satellite footprints are, you should be teaching a lot to your staff. Let's get started and find out how to do it right. I have a pop quiz for our listeners. Okay, listen up. Are you developing your workforce? Now, today that includes millennials, boomers, I hear we're also called Zoomers, and everyone in between. Are you developing your workforce to their highest potential? Now, here's the kicker. Are you using employee-driven professional development plans. I know that's a lot to digest. Proven learning strategies, uh uh-huh, and rigorously evaluated educators, OMG. Well, time's up. That was quick. That's why we call it a pop quiz. If you answered no to any of the above or if you're scratching your head and saying, what is she talking about? You may be ignoring what we call a mission-critical business enabler. And even worse, I'll boil it down to very simple terms. You could be setting up your staff to become frustrated, disloyal, and worst, ineffective at their jobs. So here's the question of the day. Can you afford such a risk? I don't think so. I have a panel of experts who are going to lay it all out and explain it in easy-to-understand terms and help you figure out how to do it better. Our topic today, by the way, is future of corporate learning, leading edge or falling behind, and we're talking to you. Let's get the party started. I'm going to bring on my first panelist now. His name is Patrick Heffernan. He is the practice manager for TBR's Professional Services Practice. And Patrick sent me the following quote. Managers who count training against utilization, that means consider the time spent learning as time not being utilized, will be left without good people or good clients. That's pretty strong words, fighting words. Patrick Heffernan, welcome to Future of Business with Game Changers. How are you today? Doing really well, Bonnie. Thanks. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Patrick, talk to me. This is that you mean there are still companies that say, Oh, if we put you in training, we could have been using you somewhere else for utilization as you call it. Talk to me. Let's get started. <laughs> it's worse than that. Um so oh. right now, uh as it happens, as I'm talking on the radio, some of my colleagues are in presentation training and the last couple of weeks as we were preparing for and leading up to today and, and the work that we do here all the time. There was that attitude around the conference room, oh, uh, presentation training, who wants to do that? And and I realized, listening to that and hearing it from myself, that such a short-term mentality. I mean, we, we, we have to look longer term. We have to look longer than just the immediate task that needs to get done, even though we know when somebody's off in training, okay, that means others have to 
pick up the slack or, or some work has to get rescheduled. But I, thankfully, the company I'm with now, we, we don't look at it that way, although I'm obviously guilty of, of, of having that kind of cultural mindset sometimes. But I have been in other places, and I've talked to other folks who, who do face the pressure from management, from their own corporate culture, that if you're in training, that's not part of doing your job. And long-term, that's, it's just foolish. It, it sets people up to be frustrated, uh, and it also, you know, clients expect that you're going to get better over time at what you do. And if you're not training, if you're not developing professionally, then you're not getting better. You're just, you're just sort of punching a time clock, and that's, that's not where the future is. Patrick, thank you. I'm going to suggest two things before we bring on our second guest. Number one, I mentioned in my opening the idea, the concept of employee-driven professional development plans and proven learning strategies. Now, I'll pose this quick question to you, Patrick Heffernan at TBR. You're talking from the point of view, the POV of the company are our employees spending their time the way we need them to? What about the flip side? What about if you have corporate learning, corporate training, and your employees raise their eyebrows, mutter under their breath, OMG, more <laughs> classes, do I have to? I'd rather be manning or peopling the phones in the call center than have to do more boring, really? So <laughs> how does that stand? There are two sides to this coin, right, Patrick? Yeah, but that's, a, that's a complete leadership failure where you're not telling your people that what matters matters in the long run is is doing your job better that you're telling them what what matters in the short run is getting this particular task done and if you have people that have that attitude then you're failing to lead you're not doing your job Okay, we've got a lot more to... Those are my fighting words this morning. Well, I I want fighting words. It's going to be a good conversation. Thanks. Let's bring on the second panelist to join you today. His name is Jeff Losey, and he is head of the University of Farmers Claims Professional Development Center. That's a big business card. And Jeff sent me the following quote from JFK. A rising tide lifts all boats. That's so poetic. Welcome, Jeff Losey. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. We love to have JFK quotes on the show. This is kind of pithy and to the point. So how does it apply to corporate learning, Jeff? That's a great question. I, you know, this this one stuck with me in, in uh, over the years as something that always comes up. And it's a great quote about how improving the general economy will benefit all participants in that economy. It kind of translates to, for me into a great message about learning and developing your employee population. You know, if all employees are incrementally developing themselves with a laser focus on their their greatest gaps or the things that are going to make them more effective in their organization, uh, the effectiveness of the entire organization will rise. And so, you know, that quote is kind of clear and concise to me, and it kind of you know outlines uh, what we want to do at farmers, and that is teach our employees how to teach themselves. Mm, that sounds very interesting, getting them involved and helping them direct it. What about the question of boring training? When you have employees participating, Jeff, do you make it more fun? I know we have the fun word at work, and that's okay. Uh, does it make it more fun? Does it help them feel more engaged and make it more valuable to them? What's your POV on that? Oh, I, you know, fun is the way to go. We actually, you know, I guess, um, you know, I don't know if you know, if, if you've heard about Second City, but we've even incorporated a lot of Second City type of stuff there, kind of a comedy uh, review that uh, does some corporate learning. And they really make uh, learning, uh, we did a storytelling um, 
kind of uh, seminar and and uh, the, they they're the best at telling stories and and teaching how to tell stories and we just had a ball in that class dancing around and and uh, you know learning how to tell effective stories so I I think incorporating fun into uh, to anything is great uh, you might as well go to work and have a good time I. I wonder how people can't go spend eight, ten, twelve hours a day working without really not only giving it their all and doing the best they can and not wasting their time, but also having a good time. That's great points. Thank you very much, Jeff. I, I like the idea of dancing around at work. Let's, that's another, another way of evaluating people. But I digress. Let's bring on our third panelist, Lori Williams, Vice President for Market Development and Channel Sales for SAP Education in North America. Lori sent me the following quote from Benjamin Franklin. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. Wonderful quote, Lori Williams. Welcome. How are you today? I am great on the first day of spring, Bonnie. Mm. The sun is out, and I am uh, smiling, just anticipating summer around the corner and contemplating our dear friend Ben Franklin's statement, which, after all, Mm -hmm. has certainly held true all these years, right? That's true. Go ahead. Talk to me about it. Why did you pick it for today's topic, Lori? Well, I really felt it encompassed the whole continuum of training and learning you know, there's three obviously main components to the statement that he made. Tell me and I forget. That's a lot about communications. And I think oftentimes in organizations, we try to use communications almost in lieu of training and learning. And I will have to admit to you, Bonnie, the older I get, the more I identify with the tell me and I forget statement. <laughs> so I don't think that's highly effective. You're in good company. Go ahead, Oh, my goodness. The the second component of his statement, teach me and I remember, that really gets into the essence of training. Mm -hmm. And in a training situation, what we're really doing is more or less memorizing, you know, trying to cram in information and trying to keep it locked in our heads so that we can call upon it at some point. The problem is, is that you go back to statement number one, which is tell me and I forget, right? Mm -hmm. So training is good, is very good, but it's not unto itself. It's not sufficient for us to really change our behavior. Where we get into behavioral changes and really improve productivity is in the third part of the statement, involve me and I learn. Now, that really gets to the heart of learning, when someone moves from having head knowledge to really having practical experience in what they're speaking about. I take this into account of the difference between being a student and being a teacher. I always felt that I learned best if I was also asked to be the teacher. And in fact, one of SAP's executives, Vishal Uh, Our chief technology officer Mm -hmm. recently made an interesting statement that kind of tags into that, and he said, you know, the goal is make every employee a student and a teacher. And I think what he was trying to get to is that evolution of go definitely train people, but actually ensure that they come all the way through to that learning phase. 
Very interesting. A lot of good points. Thank you very much, Lori. And we have a lot more to learn from you as well. You know, that reminds me of, uh, wasn't there a phrase very similar, uh, give a man a fish and he'll fish for a day, teach him to fish, and he'll be able to eat for a lifetime. Do you remember That's that right. one, Lori? I do. And I also have to mention to you on uh, CBS Sunday Morning, one of the regular contributors did a little video blurb about the reason we forget as we get older is not that we're losing brain cells, is that we have so much amazing amazing reserves, such deep reserves of information that we have farther to sift to find what we want to talk about. I so love it's, it. I, I love it too. Redeemed. So we Oh, you are, I am, everybody over a certain, and I know, never mind, we won't go into the age thing. Okay, great. Now, I have a very tough question for my panel, and it has to do with something right now today or thinking of something wonderful. What's in your cup or what do you wish you were drinking? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that, because we are part of our flagship show called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I ask all my panelists, what are you drinking on our Coffee Break theme? So let's go back to Patrick Heffernan at TBR. Patrick, what's in your cup? today or what do you wish you were drinking give me a little story patrick so i've got some moroccan mint tea in a blue and white cup that i picked up in hebron back in the late 1990s and one of the reasons i really like this cup it reminds me of days when i used to travel around the middle east but it's also small it's not it's not a normal size american size coffee cup which is good because it means i have to get up and go back and forth to get more tea and get more coffee and get more water more frequently, which means I get up and interact with my colleagues a lot more and I don't get just stuck in my office with a big, huge cup of coffee. So that's what I've got this morning. Thank you very much. Inspiring. Jeff Losey at Farmers, what are you drinking now or what do you wish you were drinking, Jeff? Bonnie, I am drinking a nice green tea with a dash of Old Boney Mountain hot sauce kiwi pear in it. And the reason I have the kiwi pear in it is because it has just the right hint of spice to the to the tea, uh, and uh, Old Boney Mountain hot sauce uh, benefits some great uh, charities. And uh, like uh, uh, there's a group called Waiting for Water, um, Wounded Warrior Project, and Food Share. So that's what I'm drinking. Good, good. A drink with a benefit. I like that a lot. Lori Williams, I know you could remember this. What are you drinking today? (laughs) Indeed, I can. And I am delighted because I'm on a panel of tea drinkers. And that's actually something I find kind of uncommon. And I actually have in my cup English breakfast tea. And uh, I have to say, I have a bit of a kindred spirit with some of your panelists from your prior show, Future of Work, that both seem to be uh, correlated to uh, the the UK. Uh, Mm -hmm. My heritage actually comes from a neighboring country of Belgium. My grandmother came over to America just after World War I. And little did I know that growing up in her midst, and she actually lived with us, her European cultural behaviors were very woven into the fabric of my life, and that was very much that tea drinking with a little warm milk, mind you, was very much heritage from her background in Belgium, and it's uh, it's a great, I always think of her as I'm drinking my tea, so it, it helps me to feel happy. 
Thank you. I'm glad you're happy. I'll tell you a little tea story just briefly. When I was a, a student, just before, I think just before I started college, I traveled in Switzerland and uh, studied at the University of Neuchâtel for a couple of weeks. Stayed with a French family in in Neuchâtel, and mostly what they gave us for breakfast was two croissants, a little jam, and lots and lots of tea. Well, I was hungry at age 19 or 18. I was hungry in the morning, so I learned to make cup after cup after cup of tea. But I dosed it up, Lori, with a lot of milk and a little bit of sugar, just so I'd have something in my tummy for the long day ahead. Because that really didn't hold us until lunch at two in the afternoon. So those are my big tea drinking days. But I have to tell you, tea drinkers of the world unite because we have David Fowler from SAP Services who was the sponsor of this series, and he just tweeted that he's drinking, wait for it, cinnamon coffee in Innsbruck, Austria at a cafe under the mountains is what he wishes he was drinking. Either that or he, he did a quick travel overnight. I'm not sure where he is, but thank you very much, David. I think it's time we've all worked so hard here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our topic today, the future of corporate learning. Is your company leading edge or are you falling behind? And that's really a loaded question. It's not just what you're doing. It's the impact on your employees, on your entire company, on the value you place on training versus putting people in the jobs and saying, do that for eight hours. We're not going to give you any leg up. We're not going to take you to the next level. It's important at all levels. So you're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP services. I am Bonnie D. Graham, drinking or not today. Actually, they only let me have water on show days, Lori, and you know why. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're talking today to Patrick Heffernan, the practice manager for TBR's Professional Services Practice, as well as Jeff Losey, head of the University of Farmers Claims Professional Development Center, and Lori Williams, VP for Market Development and Channel Sales for SAP Education in North America. We had a great intro round. We had some great quotes, found out what they're drinking and their POV, point of view on the future of corporate learning. Let's get started on our roundtable now. We're going to go about 30 minutes, no breaks. You know it's a marathon and my speakers are up to the task. I know that. So let's start off with Patrick Heffernan at TBR. Patrick, you told me before the show 
rather than focusing on how different generations learn in different ways, and this is a really important theme for our conversation, and you're talking about older students are used to sitting in classrooms. That's what we always did. Younger generations of professionals want to learn online. They have the focus. They have the commitment. They have the way of putting those blinders on and just keeping on going. And you talk about it requires three things, substance, speed, sustainability. Why don't you introduce us to this topic of different generations learning in different ways, and then we'll have your fellow panelists chime in. Go ahead, Patrick. Sure. Yeah, I think one of the things to, to keep in mind, so I, my experience is in, in a lot of working with consultants and working in the consulting field. And so you hear a lot of buzzwords and you hear a lot of, of ideas that sort of flash in the pan and come and go. And I, I recognize fully that training and teaching and learning is different for the different generations, but I think it's it's easy to get caught up in how are we going to teach these crazy young kids, these millennials, and lose focus on what you actually are trying to get done. And, and Lori actually said it beautifully earlier when we were talking that the the need the need to do training or learning that leads to change behavior. And so if you're focused on what that change behavior is, then you need to think about the substance. What not who are you teaching within the company, what are you teaching? Are you teaching them the stuff? Are you are you providing training that's actually critical for the company's mission? And then because today's technology and, and everything about the workplace changes so fast, you've got to keep up. You've got to keep up with what the the most recent changes are both technologically, both uh, business process, both business model, how things get done, and then and then sustainability. And what I mean by that, and I, yes, I admit that I chose that word because it starts with S and it goes with speed and substance. <laughs> okay. Sustainability. Alli- really alliteration. People. I've, I have seen over the years uh, many efforts at training and learning and, and corporate knowledge that gets lost when people don't stay engaged, when employees don't stay engaged and they don't believe that a company has a long-term vision that, that includes professional development, that includes training and learning. And so you, you're not sustaining that corp- corporate culture. You're not sustaining what you've, you're actually developing in your, in your people. You're losing them. And, and that's where the sustainability comes in. Thank you, Patrick. Before I invite Jeff and Lori to come in, I have a question for you. Getting down to the basics of training who, what, when, where, and how, what do companies do today when they have a, I'll call it a blended workforce in terms of generations and perspectives and preferences? So do you put everybody in the classroom and say to the millennials or, or Gen Y, do you say to them, okay, sit still for a half hour, we're going to show you a fun video, and then we're going to tell stories and you're going to dance? Or do you make the older boomer Zoomers, who should be caught up fairly well to the digital age by now, excuse me, we do have expectations, do you put them in online training and say, okay, focus, you can do this, you can do this. So do you, do you blend them all in one classroom setting, whether it's digital or, or I'll call it brick-and-mortar training, Patrick? Now, the best companies that I've worked with have done everything, and they find the right way for each individual to learn. And because of technology now, it's a lot easier to provide that individualized training, but, but also provide that. Oh, look, the downside to a, a classroom is that you're sitting there with, with an instructor and and like we said before, you know, you can kind of come in with a bad attitude. But the plus side to a classroom setting is that there is interaction. And, and if it isn't social, folks, most folks won't do it for very long. So I, I think you have to have everything. But but it doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean you sacrifice what you're trying to the focus on what you're trying to teach, mm-hmm. how quickly you're trying to get that learning out there, and then how you're making sure that whatever it is you taught and whatever it is that folks are learning stays with them. 
So I know that didn't quite answer your question because I know I said it's it's everything for everyone, but that sort of is the right answer from That's from okay. That that's a good answer if that's the right answer. We'll find out more. Jeff Losey, Lori Williams, who wants to chime in on this, please. Uh, I can do that. This is Jeff. Okay. Um, you know, I really appreciate the comment around training being critical to the company's mission. Uh, mm-hmm. And also the um, face-to-face versus e-learning uh, commentary that Patrick had. Um, you know, I think it's got to be there's a right mix, and maybe we don't know exactly what the right mix is of mm-hmm. face-to-face versus kind of e-learning or classroom versus e-learning. But we know that we're doing probably a little bit too much of the, the face-to-face classroom brick-and-mortar uh, teaching, and we need to... Uh, in the future, be at a place where we provide the training needed where and when it's needed, but also the most efficient way and effective way. And many times that's going to be e-learning or uh, even better, you know, a time of need kind of learning uh, that that the millennials, I think, um, are used to and, and everybody else probably needs to get used to. Um, mm-hmm. But the, you know, uh, the point of the uh, learning-based uh, on the company's needs or the company's mission is very critical. How do you build technology to lead people down the path that's most efficient and effective for them? And so that when you come to professional development, uh, you know, I, I believe there's a few points uh, that are required to have a good development plan, and one of them is that the, the plan has to be good for the employee. So if the employee has full knowledge and focus on the three greatest opportunities or the three greatest strengths that they have. They've whittled it down to something that's usable for them. And if they can, if they can get something, uh, you know, working on something to develop themselves that's good for them, that's good. Is it good for the company? Is, are the activities that they're doing something that's going to benefit the company? Is it, is it related to maybe a key performance indicator or uh, company engagement? Uh, and then is it a priority to the company? Uh, you know, companies uh, tend to put out what they call their imperatives or their their greatest priorities. And so if a development plan is good for the employee, it's good for the company, and it's, and it's a priority to the company, I think you probably have a pretty good development plan. Thank you, Jeff, for covering all those points. That was actually I was going to ask you about that next, and I'm glad you added that in. Lori Williams, what's your thought on what's been said so far? And then I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction with one of your discussion points. Go ahead, Lori. Yes, Bonnie. Uh, what came to my mind as I was listening to Jeff and Patrick is the fact that really what I think we're saying is that things d- today, they really need to be blended. There's not a one-track, one-size-fits-all And maybe if we pull a lesson from the lesson book of MOOCs, the massive open online classes that emerged into our world probably only a year and a half, two years ago, uh, there was a great story on MOOCs in the Wall Street Journal back in October of last year. And it really pointed out some of the great things about it and some of the things that didn't work so well. And 90% of those people that enroll in MOOCs actually don't finish the course. So what they hypothesize from that outcome, along with other data points that were expressed, is that really in a learning situation, people need people. And I think that's why we start to see more creative uses of online 
and classroom experiences Mm -hmm. being blended that help us to see very significant improvements in the learning process and in the college environment like at San Jose State, they actually saw a pass rate from 55% up to 91% by going from a traditional all-class to actually a blended class and online component. So I think the moral of the story, in today's world at least, is really serving all the generations by providing the right Mm -hmm. mix of blended learning. Very good point, and very impressive improvement in the results, Laurie. Very, very impressive. Uh, And the idea of blended, it makes sense. Uh, We talk about treating employees as individuals, but as Jeff pointed out so well, what's good for the employee, what's good for the company and the priorities. Ultimately, you're working for a company. Ultimately, they have to survive. They need a bottom line. They need profits. So it does have to eventually come up to what's good for the company and what matters. Laurie, I want to do a little level setting here. Probably should have done this at the beginning of the show, but it's never too late, especially on live radio. (laughs) You sent me the following talking point, and I think this is worthwhile for everybody listening, and I'd like the rest of the panel to chime in on this. You said, let's get one thing straight up front. Ha-ha, I missed the up front part, Laurie. You say, (laughs) "Training, training and learning are not the same, though inextricably linked, each is quite unique. Why don't you give us a little definition building here, Laurie, and then we'll ask Jeff and Patrick, we'll see if they agree or disagree. Go ahead, Laurie. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. There's a lot that has been written on this, and certainly uh, I'm, I'm not uh, the originator of any of these thoughts, but the reality of it is training is more of giving of information. And, you know, you're kind of handing it out to the, the person who's interested in the topic or is being forced to be trained on the topic. Learning is actually the process of absorbing the information you've received. And that gets back to the earlier comment about behavioral changes. So learning becomes what do you do with those knowledge points that you've taken in during a training process and how are you applying them on the job to actually improve your outcomes? Okay. Jeff, thoughts on that? You agree? Anything you want to add to that definition? I call it level setting. Well, I, I, I certainly uh, agree with it. The, uh, you know, the fact is, is that, um, you know, when you start talking about the future of learning and the millennials and things like that, um, they're very quick to learn and change. They can use smartphones and they can find information fast when they need it and what they need. And, and so, you know, they're doing it, they're getting exactly what they want when they need it and they're learning it for a while and until they have the next need. And so, you know, to a degree, um, learning, you know, is going to be in nuggets and it's going to be quick and it's going to be things that you need when you need it and maybe not so much uh, training in a, in a corporate environment where here's a cattle call, you need to know all of this stuff. And really, you know, the retention rate is 10% for 30 days and whatever. It's, it's going to be a little quicker and maybe not as much retention. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's kind of like what I kind of see as the future is we need to have the tools that can deliver that stuff to, them, you know, the, the needs to them uh, when they need it. Now, that's difficult in a corporate setting when you have very specific information that they need to run the business. You know, you need to invest in that technology as a, as a corporation, and that's very hard sometimes to get buy-in 
to uh, that big of an investment uh, behind the firewall. Very, very good point about getting the investment. Patrick Heffernan, we want to chime in on this, and then we're going to go in a different direction with something you told me. So what what are your thoughts on learning and teaching and well, I think uh, the, retention? The thing that, that Lori brought out that sort of fascinates me is this idea that in order to get to learning, you, you have to be engaged. You have to have engaged employees. No, no, giving out information and, and, and learning it are, are the way Lori describes so different that if folks aren't engaged, they're not going to learn. And that then gets back to you know what Jeff and I mentioned earlier about being mission critical. And, and if folks understand what the mission is, I mean, if the, if, the question, if the question is how do we make sure that employees are engaged and how do we make sure that corporate learning is part of that engagement uh, in, in the future of work, well, then, then part of that is, is being as immersed and as engaged, as fully cognizant of what the, the mission is for the company. And uh, it, it just leads me to think that, that that's, a, that's a, a critical difference between teaching and, or I'm sorry, training and learning. Thank you, Patrick. Now, I want to, you sent me a, something that I think we should paint on the side of a wall, or I like to say crochet on a pillow. You say training is like maintaining a tank. Oh, it has to be part of every day in order to become part of corporate culture. So let's talk about corporate culture specifically. We're talking about the making the investment right at the top, the value of training, the value of engaging your employees, the value of making them part of their training regime, taking it seriously, knowing the rewards for complying, the penalties for failure. Now, what do you mean by training is like maintaining a tank? Since I don't happen to own one and don't happen to have anybody who in here in my neighborhood on Long Island who does, what do we do to maintain a tank? Talk to me. Educate me, Patrick. Right. So in a, in a, in a former career of mine, I spent a lot of time in tanks. And one of the, the most important things you know is that the, the end of the day and the beginning of the, every day starts with with maintenance, if it doesn't run, if it doesn't shoot, it's it's just a big empty shell. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not very helpful. So, what I think of when I think about that in terms of corporate learning and professional development, I, I think about having that that culture within a company, within a firm that says, you know, what did I do today? What did I learn today? What am I what am I going to learn this month? What and and it's not just learning; it's also building your own network. It's it's that professional development. It's mentoring. It's you know who who am I going to learn from, or who I'm who am I going to teach uh, today or or over the next month? And I think if when it becomes part of the rhythm of or the culture of a firm, if it's something that you think about every day, it becomes something you don't have to think about. I mean, I, you know, I, it, it never occurred to me. Um, to think about why I was going out to, to do maintenance on the tanks, and it, it never occurred to mm-hmm. me to, to, to think that I shouldn't do it. It just became part of the routine. And when it's routine, when it's that deeply immersed in, in your own firm culture, then it's, it's something you're going to do well. Yes, you have to calibrate it, and you have to make sure that you're uh, – I think Jeff mentioned this idea of, of priority. Is it a priority for the company? So if you're training, if you're learning, your corporate learning isn't a priority, then, then you're certainly off track. But if it is, and if you can keep it as part of everyday maintenance, then it, it really does become something that lifts all boats, like Jeff said, so that, you know, sort of improves the entire company. Hey, Bonnie, Great. it's Lori. Yes, Could I jump please. in on that real quick? I wish you would. I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Uh, Patrick, I, I, I love your uh, commentary about training is like maintaining a tank. But uh, as we think about this corporate culture that you're expressing, where training and learning is integrated into the culture, um, culture is a funny thing, right? It's kind of esoteric. So who do you see really owning 
corporate culture? Who drives that culture for those employees to have that maintenance mentality? So the folks that I've seen that do it really well uh, are both at the very top and then the folks that are sort of in the middle that influence. I mean, we all know people that are not the, the by definition or by, by role the leaders in a company, but they lead by example, they lead by influence. Uh, you know, and they're the ones I think even maybe more so than, you know, your CEO or your, the chief of your company. Uh, they're the ones that actually make a huge difference in culture. And I mean, I know from my own experience that the, the people that I followed were not necessarily my boss, but they were the ones that made me think about things like, you know, how do I do this mission the right way? Uh, how do I develop professionally so that the company as a whole benefits? And I think that, as you say, how do I uh, expand my own knowledge so that the company as a whole benefits? The connection of the employee's professional development that I know, Jeff, you were talking a lot about as well, that connection of saying, I'm, I'm self-empowered, I want to go drive mm-hmm. my own professional development, what I see is that if employees really are not truly understanding the corporate strategy and they don't actually believe in it, that there's a disconnect between what then what they're willing to do to improve themselves on behalf of the company. And instead of it being a corporate goal for them to, to improve as well as a personal goal, it becomes only personal, which kind of takes the whole thing off track. I don't know, Jeff or Patrick, what your thoughts are on that. I, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, like, like I kind of said before, you know, teaching people how to teach themselves, uh, that's a transition to a different culture in a lot of corporations where, you know, the teaching comes from the top or comes from, you know, the trainers and so forth, you know, I believe wholeheartedly that we need to build the tools to support the training and development of individuals so that they can go off and learn on their own. Um, You know, just think about the efficiency in that if if the culture shifts to uh, people just learning on their own. Um, There's no more corporate structure as far as the ladder goes and climbing the ladder. It's developing yourself into whatever you want to be and wherever that takes you. You know, you start forgetting about, you know, uh, the ladder and how high you can get and you start thinking about and being really rewarded for your own development because it's what you want to do. So I, I kind of I kind of support that wholeheartedly. I think that that's going to be the key to success for a lot of organizations as, you know, some get bigger, some get smaller. You bottleneck in, in that ladder approach, but in development, you can go anywhere. It's funny you mentioned that, Jeff, because it just as a quick side note, Bonnie, in mm-hmm. reading the book Lean In by, I think, Sheryl Sandberg, yes. uh, she uh, actually mentions this, this theory that, that Jeff was just speaking about, about the ladder and how limiting it can be. And she said, in today's world, we should really be uh, uh, more focused on being on the jungle gym, where you have a lot, lot more places that you can go to to mm-hmm. get to your end game. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And it is interesting. And, and Jeff, you seem to have a knack for knowing what I'm looking at in terms of the talking points you sent me before the show, because I was just going to ask you to talk <laughs> about the latter, and you just brought it right in seamlessly. So thank you, Jeff. You must be reading my mind. I'm, that's a little scary. I'm but sorry. I want to bring in – no, that's okay, dear. It's, it's good for radio. Now, question is, the word passions comes up, and I know we've discussed it a little bit. I'd like to focus on what's in it for the employee. And, and a couple questions Jeff Losey brought up before the show. He said to me, 
me. Ask your employees, what is it you are passionate about? How did you get here? Where do you want to go? You're in control of your own destiny as well as your development. Now, our conversation has been that we have to balance that with why are they in this job and what does the company get out of it? So how do you talk, Lori, uh, in your, your role with ed- Education North America SAP, why don't you talk about how do you say to an employee, we want you to find your passion. We know this will motivate you. This will keep you engaged. We care about you, but we have to balance that with, well, maybe that isn't really where the company needs you to be in the next three quarters of the next next two years. So, Lori, how do you explain that to a new employee of any any generation? How do you explain that and say, your passions matter, but what do you say? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's that's, that's the trick of real leadership is mm-hmm. to ensure that the people that you're responsible for developing and, and managing day to day really do catch the bug, if you will, of what your company is striving to do. Because quite honestly, once someone really gets the strategy and really understands the value of what your company does for the marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, in, in our case, SAP helps businesses run better, right? That's kind of our tagline. But that, does that become a personal passion just because we wrote it on a screen? Not uh-huh. really. So it's yep. really about helping the, helping the employee connect the dots from what they do day to day and the difference that they can actually make on the outcomes in the marketplace to achieve those strategic goals. And that's what helps them not so much to, for you to say your passion should go to the right or the left. They become very in sync with where you want them to go to develop because they're interested in being part of this success story. That's thank you, Laurie. Very, very well put. And, and between what you mentioned about Cheryl Sandberg's climbing on the jungle gym with more latitude, more options than just the corporate ladder, and connecting the dots from personal passion to what is the company's goal. Very, very well put, Patrick Heffernan. I know you have something to say about this from the vantage point of your position as practice manager for TBR's professional services practice. What do you think about what Laurie just said? Agree? Disagree? Well, Lori let off with with leadership, and the the critical thing there is you need to know what your people are, what your people are thinking, both personally and professionally, and beyond this just this week. You need to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Where are you in five years? Where are you in three years? And I, I I fully understand that that the millennial generation is different and looks at things differently and doesn't see themselves staying with the same company for forty years, but. That doesn't mean they aren't thinking ahead three, four, five years. And, and when you, when you as a leader invest in, first invest the time and, and the, the curiosity to ask what folks want, but then also the, invest the time to say, okay, great, let's, let's make that happen. That's how you harness that passion, I think, when, when folks know that, and I, I guess I'm betraying that more than once in my career, and I've jumped around with a bunch of different companies, um, I've had bosses that were shocked when I said I was leaving to go do something else and said, well, hey, you never asked me what I wanted to do, and uh, now you know. Ooh, very, very good point. Now, I want to bring in one more point. We're going to take a break in four minutes before we go to the crystal ball round. I know you've all been working hard here and great conversation, by the way. I love the way you're all jumping in and, and speaking with each other. That's what we're all about. Uh, something Patrick brought up that I put into my opening. Patrick, you say the same rigor applied to evaluating employees will be applied to evaluating the training staff and the educators. So 
Who gets to decide are the trainers? And maybe it's not a face-to-face brick-and-mortar, what I call brick-and-mortar classroom trainer. Maybe it's the person who creates the e-learning class. Maybe it's an organization you hire from outside. Who gets to evaluate it? Is it based on how many employees take it, complete it, get a high score if they're being graded on their e-learning? So how do you evaluate and rigorously evaluate the trainers and the educators in a company? Patrick? Yeah, I'll say from my own experience and, and what I'm seeing and talking to folks in the in the marketplace and particularly on the consulting side, this is an emerging um, area. It's where a lot of the technology, digital and analytics and all that are, and big data are being applied. And and it's I, I think from what I'm hearing, the leading edge of this, um, trying to understand what are the metrics that we can put around training that, that training and evaluating trainers that goes beyond a simple survey. But I'll confess, I'm hearing that from the consulting side, and I know Lori and Jeff probably have some more direct experience handling that uh, in their roles right now. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead. From University of Farmers, what are you observing? Well, that's a that's a huge question. The, um, you know, first of all, the, the the trainers and the developers in our organization tend to take a backseat to uh, developing themselves and and uh, you know focusing on others. So I know you're talking about. You know, how do you evaluate maybe the development and training? But I think the first thing is, is that, you know, the professional development has to apply to the trainers as well, which means that you need to analyze the skills and competencies that are, uh, and behaviors that are, that are critical for them to succeed and help develop them. That's going to be kind of a baseline. Um, as you, I think as you, as you start developing a sense for, um, analytics and, and, you know, ultimately, you know, there's that thing of impact to the organization. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a very difficult thing to do, especially when you start talking about leadership development and training in that. But um, there are a lot of correlations you can do uh, relative to if you have the data, the big data, you have the information somewhere in your systems that will show a correlation between the development and training and the uh, the impact to the organization. And so, you know, I know we have a few minutes for the break, but that's just the huge topic of the day is, you know, big learning and how to use that uh, data. Thank you very much. Big learning. First time I've heard that. Lori, I can give you exactly one minute to comment before we take our break. Go ahead, Lori Williams. Yes, Bonnie. Well, it, it reminded me of uh, some information that I read actually from the National uh, Education Technology Plan that was presented by our Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, to Congress back in November of 2010. And I, I found this in 2011, actually, and I was shocked at how they were already on this idea of how to leverage big data in learning situations, getting to that big learning. But here's what's happening. Now, in this inversed classroom philosophy where students now interact with many educators, both online and in the classroom, and content is more visible through technology and outcomes are more measurable through technology, guess what happens? The, the actual value of those educators is brought into the light naturally. No longer can poor educators be in a classroom, whether it's corporate or in higher ed. No longer can they just be in a classroom and have those outcomes kind of hidden in their grade books. This information is emerging, both in corporate and otherwise. So 
I think actually the technology is going to accelerate and uncover those that really are great educators because it's much mm-hmm. like crowdsourcing. Those that really can teach will have a following of those who really want to learn. So those who can't teach are good at it, should teach. Maybe that's a new mantra. I want to thank you for rounding this out, Lori. We all, we all know where that comes from. Not just train the trainers, grade the trainers. Yes. We're going to go to our break. You've all worked very hard. We're going to have just a few minutes when we come back for the crystal ball round. I'm going to ask uh, my three wonderful panelists, Patrick, Jeff, and Lori. We're all on a first-name basis by now. If we met again and did this show again in 2019, five years from today, what would you be talking about in terms of the future of corporate learning? Looking back over your shoulder at our conversation today, what will have transpired? What would you like to see happen? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP Services. And a shout out to Andy and David for great tweets. We're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. We'll be right back for the crystal ball round. You don't even want to think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. Stay tuned. Bread out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the pace of innovation is moving faster than ever and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data the new global pool of talent Resource scarcity and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. I just want to share a quick story with my panel. I know we're on a tight time frame. I teach technology topics at my local adult education in my spare time, quote, unquote, and I found a trick for keeping them engaged. They're usually adults of a certain age, I'd say 40, 50, 60, 70, and even up, and sometimes at 9 o'clock at night, they're kind of tired or even 8. So what I do is I frame scenarios around what I'm teaching, and I put their names as characters in the scenario. Nobody dares fall asleep in my classes because they hear their name as like, Oh, she's talking about me. So anyway, but that's old-fashioned classroom teaching, and it does work, by the way. Let's bring up Patrick Heffernan at TBR. We're going to look ahead five years. Future of a corporate learning, leading edge or falling behind. How will big companies be doing in the next five years after listening to this show and your great advice? Patrick, two minutes, go. Okay, I'm going to tell a story in order to make my crystal ball make sense. So uh, a little while ago I heard a gentleman from DHL talking about DHL, the big, huge um, the big mm-hmm. huge logistics company and package company, talking about a human resource problem they have, and that's with truck drivers in sub-Saharan Africa. And what's happened over the last few years or maybe the last decade is that there's been less conflict. So there's been fewer conscripts. The, the, there are fewer men going into the military 
in sub-Saharan mm-hmm. Africa, which actually means fewer truck drivers coming out the other side of their military service. And so it's tougher for DHL to find the right people and find people that already know how to drive a truck. And I, I know none of us have been thinking about sub-Saharan truck drivers and we've been thinking about the future of corporate learning. <laughs> well, I, I think about what it was like, must have been like at DHL a decade ago. No one said, hey, look at conflict is is diminishing in Africa. That's going to have an impact on our human resources. That's going to have an impact on who we're able to recruit and what kind of skills they're going to bring to the table. But that's the kind of thing I think we're going to see with corporate learning, that there's going to be, and and the future of corporations all the way around, there are going to be these structural slow shifts that have a huge impact on cost, on management, on how we do business. And so five years from now, we're going to be talking about, we're not going to be talking about truck drivers in sub-Saharan Africa, but we're going to be talking about something that right now is happening that we don't even we didn't even see, we didn't even perceive, we're not even ready for. But that, that's my little much. crystal ball, my little soapbox on how you need to you need to I appreciate way, way, way that. Ahead. And we love case studies and we love hearing about truck drivers in South Sahara wherever. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Jeff Losey, I won't ask you to top that. Give me your predictions, please. <laughs> Two minutes on the clock, Jeff at University of Farmers. Go. All right, Bonnie. I'll start it off just by saying that, uh, you know, everybody's seen our advertising. Our advertising focuses on a spokesman uh, named Professor Burke. You know, we believe in smart. We believe in teaching. We believe in uh, uh, the, the, uh, the learning, not only in our own organization, but also our customers. I think in five years, um, you know, we're going to struggle to be where we want to be because I think in five years in my crystal ball, um, we have the technology to support uh, individuals where they are with the programming to support getting them where they want to be um, and also getting the company where it wants to be. So that um, is going to be a huge challenge in, in our organization within five years to get to that point where not only people can teach themselves, but they have smart tools that will take mm-hmm. them wherever they want to go uh, and to the benefit of the corporation and themselves. Great idea. Great great input. Thank you, Jeff. And the idea of smart tools, I know we mentioned it briefly, but I think that's a topic in and of itself. Lori Williams, last up, last, of course, but not least, I'll give you exactly two minutes to give me your predictions. Go ahead, Lori. Okay, Bonnie. As I look at my crystal ball, it's going out a little bit further than five years, so give me six and a half. And take, what I'm okay. seeing, six and a half. And the reason for that is what I'm seeing is in today's world, we have our, our new grads coming out of their academic experiences, and what they're coming into corporations with is a lot of great theory and well-trained minds, but what they're missing is a lot of business context and definitely a lot of missing IT system skills. So in my world of SAP, our vast array of SAP customers, they're really having to take these newcomers into their organizations and teach them an awful lot about business context, business process, and all of the IT systems that support that. Well, I'm here to share with you, and only you, Bonnie, (laughs) <laughs> a little, I love a, it. A, a very uh, little known uh, uh, thought here, and that yes. is that SAP, in conjunction uh, with the Queensboro Community College in New York and the New right York near Co- me. 
very it's, it's, near you, exactly. It's five, and, ten minutes away from me. Go ahead. Well, keep your eye on Queensboro because in conjunction with them and the New York uh, City Department of Education, SAP is actually opening uh, a school. Our school is the Business Technology Early College High School in uh, New York uh uh, in New York City, and it's actually called BTEC for short. And this school is going to be a six-year high school that takes students down the path of getting them a high school diploma and an associate's degree in either technology design or technology development. So June 2021, keep your eye open, in Queensboro, because mm-hmm. we're going to have our first graduates from SAP's new signature school that opens this September and that is the BTEC school, and it's going to be pretty exciting because this curriculum now, Bonnie, has the business contexts being introduced in ninth and 10th grade mm-hmm. all the way through and teaching them all the baseline IT system skills so they can walk right into the front door of an SAP customer or other major corporation that uses IT systems to do their business processes, and they can quickly be successful. So I personally can't wait for six and a half years from now to see those first graduates come off the platform. I love it. And let's already plan ahead, Lori, for you and, and everybody involved to come to Queensboro College. I'll drive up the hill and meet you. We'll do a live radio show from there. We would love Greeting it. the graduates. I love it. This is exciting, and I'm, I'm delighted you picked something here. Okay, I've got to hurry up. Near time for my predictions. Later today, 1 p.m. Pacific, I'm hosting Startup Focus with Game Changers, again talking about part two on the impact of startups on the high-tech vertical. And Monday, we start all over again with our five live shows a week, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Mondays, 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesday is HR Trends, and I'm going to be talking to three millennials, Lori, one from South Africa, one from Belgium, and one from North America on their feelings about being in the workforce. Wednesday is Coffee Break with Game Changers, of course, at 8 a.m., and next Thursday morning, Future of Business with Game Changers. Thank you so much to Patrick Heffernan at TBR, Jeff Losey at University of Farmers, Lori Williams at SAP Great Panel. Shout-outs to Dave Fowler at SAP Services, Malcolm from Kimberlin, tweeters Dave and Andy Grieg, and of course to Brad and the Business Channel team. I've got 30 seconds to wrap it up, and I can name that tune. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Lori, Patrick, and Jeff, fasten your seatbelts. Oh, you already did. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of the Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP Services. Talk to you later on Startup Focus. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.